Well, we're continuing on in our series on the four Gospels. We studied a couple of weeks ago the Gospel of Mark, and last week we studied the Gospel of Matthew. So today we're going to study the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the approach we're using is to kind of look at the audience that each of these four Gospel writers was writing to, because it changes the flavor of each of the four Gospels. We have four Gospels. They're not totally identical. In many ways, they're similar, but in certain ways, they differ. And we're kind of getting some background information to learn why they're different and maybe how we can appreciate each one individually. Well, the Gospel of Luke is the only one of the four Gospels that was written in two volumes. Do you realize that? Two volumes. We have the book of Luke and we have the book of Acts. Both of those were written by the same author, Luke. <laughs> so they're both addressed to the same individual. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and Luke introduces his Gospel account by saying this in chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Talking about the life of Jesus Christ just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke addressed his gospel and also the book of Acts, as we'll see in a moment, to a particular man, a man who had a title, Most Excellent, and that happens to be a Roman title. He was a Roman official of some kind. And his name, Theophilus, means, well, if you break it down, Theos means God. You know, this theology is the study of God, so Theos means God. And uh, Phyllis, the, the second part of that name, you see the, the name in there for philia, or the, the uh, Greek word for love. So in other words, Theophilus means a lover of God. So he was a man who loved God, perhaps a Christian, and he was most likely a patron who would have been responsible for receiving Luke's uh, work, copying it, perhaps distributing it. So uh, that's who this man was. And we see his name mentioned again here in Acts. I'll just turn back there real quickly, Acts 1. Verse 1. So he, this is the second volume of his work, the book of Acts. He says, in my former book, which was the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the way Luke breaks it down is the Gospel of Luke was the first volume of his work of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So then Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit was sent to the church on Pentecost. So back here to Luke chapter one, he goes on to say in, in the beginning here, he said, uh, Write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, chapter 1, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, the Gospel of Luke 
is traditionally credit, credited to Luke, the beloved physician. He is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul uh, mentions Luke as a companion of his. And in Luke, uh, rather, Colossians 4, verse 14, Paul had the uh, practice of mentioning a lot of the people that were working with him at the time. And sure enough, he says here, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. So Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He was a close associate of the Apostle Paul. Uh, as we're going to see, he was a historian because he was really good at investigating knowledge and writing it down in an easily understandable way, which he did in both of his books. But he was also a physician, the beloved physician. So he was a doctor. And there is uh, evidence of him being a physician, a trained physician in the Bible. Uh, he uses medical language. In uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 8, he's describing an individual who is sick. And this is what he says. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And the Greek that Luke uses for suffering from fever and dysentery, I've got the Greek words here, but I can't pronounce them. But it's the actual correct medical terminology that one might find in the works of Hippocrates. And uh, another case, he mentioned somebody with dropsy. And he uses the exact Greek word, the medical term, uh, which occurs nowhere else in the Bible, but it can be found in the Hippocratic writings talking about medical problems. So this was a professional man. He was a professional physician, and uh, he was also the author of Luke and Acts. <clears throat> Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. Every other writer that wrote a book in the New Testament was Jewish, except for Luke. He was probably Greek. In some of his, his sections, he uses some of the highest Greek uh, of the day, and probably uh, historically speaking. Luke's gospel is clearly written for Gentile believers. <clears throat> and we notice when he traces uh, Jesus' genealogy or family tree, he doesn't trace it back to Abraham like Matthew did, Abraham being the father of the Jewish people. He traces Jesus' family tree all the way back to Adam, who was the father of all mankind. He was the first one created by God. Most Bible scholars believe that both Matthew and Luke derived a lot of their material from Mark. <clears throat> That's why these three were called the Synoptic Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You should know that the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. It means the same view. They're very similar in many respects. John's Gospel is very different in, in many respects. So Mark wrote first, and a lot of scholars feel that both Matthew and Luke got a lot of their material from Mark. But there's a lot about Luke that is unique. And so for the rest of the sermon, we're going to talk about Luke's focus in his writing. And we're going to learn a little bit more about him 
and what he wanted us to understand about Jesus' life. Now, the first area, first focus of Luke's gospel is on history. I mentioned that Luke is an historian in many respects. We look here in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll pick out a few different scriptures here. Luke presents Jesus as a verifiable historic person. It's not just a made-up story. It's not just make-believe. It's not just a fable. But Luke tried to present Jesus with historical facts that are provable. For example, Luke 1 verse 5 says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So notice the historical facts. He talks about rulers who ruled at certain times in history. <clears throat> Dates that you can go back and check. You can open historical works and see some of these same names there. He makes datable references to persons and events that can be corroborated even today. So when Luke wrote his gospel, being an historian, he wanted to put enough facts, names, places that he could so that you could read this and see that this is historical truth. It's not just a made-up story. In, Acts, in Luke chapter 2, Luke gives details of Jesus' birth and infancy found in no other gospel, including talking about Jesus' circumcision, the prophecies of Simeon and Anna, and Jesus at the age of 12 talking with doctors of the law at the temple. The other gospels don't talk about this because Luke wanted to present Jesus as an historical person. And he brought out information that the other writers didn't bring out. Some wonder whether he got this information about Jesus very early years from Mary herself. I'm sure she had stories, you know, to tell. She had experiences with young Jesus as a child. For example, as he was taken to be circumcised and what the prophet Simeon and Anna said at that time, Mary would have remembered those things. And she could have passed that information along to Luke. Notice also in Luke uh, chapter 24, Luke is the only gospel writer that gives an account of Jesus' ascension into heaven. So at the end of his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, we know that he spent several more days on earth until he was eventually taken up into heaven in the ascension. Now the other three gospel writers don't mention that, but Luke does, because he doesn't want to leave any of the details of Jesus' life out. He's approaching it as an, an historian, and uh, making Jesus a real person. Also in uh, Luke chapter 2, just a couple of other examples of him bringing out historical facts. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he mentions... At the time of Jesus' birth, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So notice the historical facts that people can look up to prove 
that this is indeed a true story. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, <laughs> during the priesthood of, of Annas and uh, Caiaphas, the word of God came to the son of Zechariah in the desert. So again, a lot of historical facts and figures, dates, places, names, to make Jesus a real historical figure that can be provable. So this was Luke's first focus that I wanted to talk about today, his focus on history. He enjoyed history, he enjoyed investigating history, he enjoyed talking to people and gathering stories about the actual facts around Jesus' life. The second focus of Luke's gospel that I want to talk about today that makes it different from the other three is Luke's focus on women. Now, the other three Gospels, in telling the story of Jesus' life and ministry, does not focus that much on women, but Luke does. Luke makes reference to women and their stories 45 times in his Gospel. Now, we know that Jesus lived in a cult culture at the time where a lot of importance was not placed on women. It was a man's world in many respects concerning the, the culture and the customs of the day. But Luke wanted to make sure that the readers of his gospel and the book of Acts would understand that Jesus cared about women, looked out for them uh, in a way that we need to take note of certainly today. In Luke uh, chapters one and two, the birth stories of Jesus and John the Baptist are told from women's perspectives. And that's different from, again, the customs and the culture of the world in which Jesus lived at the time. It talks about uh, angels coming, not just to men, but to women. How the angel visited Mary and how Mary, after... Uh, she became pregnant and uh, Elizabeth became pregnant, who was to give birth to John the Baptist, how they met together, how they talked with one another. It even mentions that uh, when they, they came together and they were in their, both their pregnancies, that the baby leapt within her womb, you know, recognizing who uh, Mary was carrying, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 3, we're still talking about the focus on women here. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, I mentioned earlier, Luke tells the family tree or the genealogy of Jesus. Remember, Matthew, we talked about last week, traced that genealogy through Joseph's side, as a proper Jew would, through the man's side of the family. But here Luke traces Jesus' genealogy through Mary's side of the family, which was really unheard of, highly unusual. But when you read through this list of names, and I won't take the time to do that, the emphasis is being put on the woman here. The emphasis is being placed on Mary and how she descended. In uh, Luke chapter 7, another example of the uh, focus of Luke's writing on women, 
We see here uh, Luke 7, verses 30 through 50, the story of Jesus shortly before his crucifixion. He came to a house when a woman came to anoint his feet. Remember, she bought some real expensive perfume and knelt down at Jesus' feet, broke the perfume open, anointed his feet with oil, and then wiped his feet with her hair. And throughout the Gospel of Luke, you see this storytelling showing where women are faithful <laughs> while men are not. You know, as this woman was doing this as an act of worship, worshiping Jesus by pouring the perfume on his feet, a lot of the men in the room criticized and complained and said, what does this woman think she's doing? You know, this uh, money that she spent on this perfume could have been used for other important things. But no, Jesus let her go ahead and do it. And it was going to be, in a sense, his anointing before his death. So the emphasis is put on women in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 8, I will turn there. Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3. Luke even mentions the women who financially supported Jesus in his ministry during his uh, three and a half year ministry. Notice it says here in Luke 8 verse 1, after this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 apostles were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And it even goes on to name them. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So you wonder, when Jesus you know, walked around during his earthly ministry with his apostles, where did they get the money for food? Where did they get the money to pay for maybe an overnight stay someplace? Well, there were dedicated women disciples, not just the 12 apostles, but women disciples who were very generous and who provided the support and the means that they needed to carry on. This is totally unique. You don't see this mentioned in the other Gospels. Another example in Luke chapter 24 When Jesus died, was buried, and then rose from the dead, who were the ones who heard the first report of him being raised from the dead? Well, it happened to be women. <laughs> it talks about the story of the women visiting the tomb. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, obviously angels. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered the words. <clears throat> when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven remaining apostles and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other with them who told this to the apostles. 
but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. So once again, here's another example of women spiritually on the ball, alert and with it, the men, eh, unbelieving, you know, not getting the point, uh, critical, uh, whatever the case may be. So the, there's obviously an emphasis here in the Gospel of Luke and giving a lot of credit and praise to women folk, and rightly so, because they deserve it. So that was the second of Luke's focuses in his gospel that made it different from Matthew, Mark, and John. His focus on history, making Jesus an historical person that can be traced and looked up in, in uh, history books, and also Luke's focus on women. A third important focus of Luke's writing, again, that is stressed here and not in the other three Gospels that much, is Luke's focus on society's outcasts. Society's outcasts. Luke spends a lot of time talking about how Jesus interacts with people who have been marginalized by society. And when I say marginalized, you know, you, you've got the core of society right here, the movers and the shakers of society. And what society does is they push to the outskirts, they push to the periphery, people who are not the movers and the shakers, the poor, the sick, the handicapped, uh, you know, maybe people with mental issues, whatever the case may be. Those people are marginalized and, and pushed to the, to the outer circumference of society, where society is, is acting very powerfully right in the core, these people get pushed out of the way. These are the people that Jesus spent most of his time with. And he tells us this story as an example to us as Christians today. This should be our approach, the same as Jesus' approach. Some examples, once again, in Luke 1, verse 38. <clears throat> of all the people that could be chosen to be the mother of God, the, the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Son of God, who did God pick? Notice Mary's attitude here in Luke 1, verse 38. When the angel came to visit her, to tell her what God's plan was for her, that she was going to give birth even though she was a virgin, the Holy Spirit was going to perform this and was going to bring about the beginning of a child in her by a miracle. And she was just so overwhelmed with this, but what was her response? Luke 1, verse 38, she said this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So a humble, yielding, Young woman who was a virgin, never married at this point, uh, God chose her because God looks upon the weak. He looks upon those marginalized by society, but with a humble attitude. That's what she had, and that's why she was chosen. God chooses a humble young woman to be the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> Another example of how Luke's focus on society's outcasts in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. 
Jesus, the Son of God, is born in Bethlehem in a manger. One of the greatest events that has ever taken place on the face of this earth. Who does God choose to announce this joyous message to? Does he go right downtown <laughs> to the kings, to the rulers, to the princes? You know, as you would expect, big news, the Son of God is born. No, he goes out in the field and finds some shepherds. And don't forget, shepherds were looked down upon in this society. They were considered, for all intents and purposes, outcasts, if you will. The first report of the birth of the Messiah was given to shepherds by angels. It says in Luke 2, verse 8, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So again, God acts in ways that we wouldn't normally expect. We would expect God to go to the the higher-ups in town, go right to Jerusalem and, and, and announce it to the high priest. No, it's lowly shepherds in the field. Other stories of outcasts that Luke tells, Luke 10, verses 25, he's the only one who tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Out of all the Gospels, only Luke tells that story. And we know the story of the Good Samaritan. I think we have it pretty much memorized. There's a Jewish man who is set upon by thieves, beaten up and left for dead out in the street. And his, his fellow Jewish countrymen come walking by. They avoid him. <laughs> they don't want to get involved. They cross the street to get out of the way of having to deal with you know, this poor guy who's been beaten up and robbed. And of all the people who come by, finally, who comes by? A Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan were hated by the Jewish people. They were originally from Samaria and came into the country against the will of the Jewish people, but they were brought in centuries before to kind of fill up empty space because Israel had been taken captivity. The land was empty. The land was going uh, uh, bad. Uh, Nobody was there to tend the land. So they brought in a bunch of outsiders, foreigners, Samaritans, to come and live in the land. And from day one, they were despised by the Jews. So Jesus is telling this story here of this Jewish guy who was robbed and beaten up and left for dead. And of all the people who come by, who is the one who actually stops to help him? A Samaritan, the people that they hate. 
And this guy took care of his needs, got him to a doctor, got him into a hotel, and paid somebody to take care of him until he was all better and ready to get, get out on his own again. So again, the downcast, the outcast of society, Jesus tells this story of how we should not ignore these people. Luke 14, I'll turn there. <clears throat> Jesus tells the story of a uh, wedding banquet, which is referring to the great celebration that takes place at Jesus' return when he gathers all of his people together. And a great wedding feast is going to take place. There's going to be a marriage. Jesus, the groom, is going to marry his bride, the church, in a, in a fantastic wedding ceremony. And he tells the story here of how God has called people to eventually come to this wedding ceremony, this celebration, you know, to, to hear the gospel, to respond to it, to become part of the, the kingdom of God. And the people are not responding. They don't want to have anything to do with it. So it goes through the story here. And in chapter 14, verse 21, after he sends his servant out to you know, call people to this great wedding celebration, it says here, the servant came back and reported this to his master, that nobody wants to come. Everybody's making excuses. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The outcasts. Find the outcasts of society. They'll respond to my invitation. And sure enough, they did. You know, when it comes to the gospel today, there are a lot of people who might hear the gospel and think, well, that's not for me, or I don't want to get involved right now, or you're talking about needing a savior. I don't think I need a savior. Or you're talking about people who are sinners. Yeah, I've slipped up in my life over the years, but I guarantee I'm not as bad as some of those other people over there. That's the attitude that a lot of people have today. They reject the gospel. You know, this invitation to come to this great wedding feast and celebration when Jesus returns, they don't have time for it. They've got other interests in mind. They're not concerned. But I guarantee you, there are people who really need the gospel and really need a savior. And they're not the rich of the world. They're not the influential of the world. They're not the great politicians, perhaps, of the world. They're the people who are living in the gutter. And there are the people who are living homeless. And there are the people who are sick and handicapped. And they're close to God because they need God every day. So, again, Luke focuses on the lost. Those are the people that are really going to respond to God. And those are the people that God focuses on. Those are the people that Jesus sought out in his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 15, Luke is the only one who tells the story about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son or the prodigal son. He focuses on things that are lost and how God seeks them out. Jesus sought them out. He was the one who talked to them. You know, when it comes to lepers, back in those days, leper, leprosy was a terrible disease. So much so that the people had to be separated from society. And they lived in leper colonies because they couldn't come in contact with normal human beings. 
But yet Jesus was the one who, passing a leper colony, and they were calling out to him for help, he stopped and he healed ten of them. Unfortunately, only one of them came back and thanked him for it. The other nine didn't. But nobody would come, <laughs> talk about touching somebody who had leprosy. Most people wouldn't come within a mile of somebody who had leprosy for fear of catching it. But Jesus yet reached out to those people and healed them. So Luke gives special interest in his gospel to the poor, the handicapped, shepherds, lepers, whatever the case may be, society's outcasts. Jesus heals them, and some of his teachings strongly emphasize how we are to love and care as well for the poor, the weak, the handicapped, those who are overlooked by their families, friends, and society. So the, the, the focus of the gospel applies to us today as well. So we see that Luke in his gospel, and also in the book of Acts, his overall focus is to show that salvation is available to anyone, Jew or Gentile, who comes to God with a humble and repentant heart. God seems to have a special place in his heart for those who are rejected or neglected by society. Membership in the kingdom of God is based on a person's relationship with God rather than his race, ethnicity, social class, income, political standing, physical or mental health. And like I said, Jesus sought out those people who were considered outcasts by society, and he provided what they needed, healing, help, encouragement, whatever the case may be. Most of all, salvation. That's what they needed the most, and he provided that for them. So we need to have the same mindset as Jesus did. So again, let's remember, Luke wrote his gospel specifically for a man, Theophilus, lover of God, who was going to then publish his gospel, and he did. Luke had a special focus that none of the other three gospel writers had. He focused on history because he was a historian. His focus was on women to show that they were included too and that they were just as important. And in many of his stories that they were more spiritual, more ready to hear the gospel, more ready to follow Jesus than the men were. And finally, Luke's focus on society's outcasts, a message which still rings true for us today as Christians in the church. Just as Jesus gave special care for these people, we must also. So next Sunday, we'll uh, discuss the final of the four Gospels, the Gospel of John, a Gospel that in many ways is completely different and radically different. But John had a special purpose and a special audience. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you once again for providing us with four separate works on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Each one gives us a special insight. Each one gives us special wisdom and understanding of what you're trying to get across to us by the life of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, uh, as we read these gospel accounts, help us to maybe take in mind, keep in mind some of the things that we've discussed here to give us a better appreciation and a better understanding. But it's all for our good, it's all for our purpose. But Father, we are the ones who have to open our Bibles and actually read. In other words, to uh, learn from and to benefit from what you've put in these separate accounts. 
So Father, help us to be good Christians, help us to be good students of your word, and uh, we know that you're going to do your work through the Holy Spirit to give us the understanding and to make these words a part of us. So Father, thank you very much for all your blessings. Again, we love you, we appreciate you, and we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.